Welcome to Booksmart, a podcast where we read and share books that have a positive influence on our daily lives. Whether it's self-improvement, success, or something fun, we're here to help you read your way to a better you. I'm Melissa. And I'm Em. And this week we're discussing Joyful by Ingrid Fettel Lee. As we talked about in episode eight, in Joyful, designer Ingrid Fettel Lee explores how the seemingly mundane spaces and objects we interact with every day have surprising and powerful effects on our mood. Drawing on insights from neuroscience and psychology, she explains why one setting makes us feel anxious or competitive, while another fosters acceptance and delight. And most importantly, she reveals how we can harness the power of our surroundings to live fuller, healthier, and truly joyful lives. In this episode, Melissa and I are going to talk about whether we think this book actually made us joyful and what elements, if any, we incorporated into our daily lives. Plus, we'll revisit episode one, The Four Tendencies, to share my personal identity crisis over my previously labeled tendency as an obliger. It turns out I may have been misdiagnosed. Stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait. All right, Em, you've been hinting at this (laughs) since we started recording the first episode, episode eight about Joyful. I have to know, did this book bring you joy? So while I was reading it, no. (laughs) But I think that it is in the long run. Okay, tell me more. Okay, so we talked about how I was reading this book to bring me joy during a really busy time of my work life. Um, It is... A lovely read in the sense that there's a lot of examples and science about the aesthetics of joy in the world. That bugged me because 90% of the chapter is about examples in the world, in the big wide world, and none of it really felt actionable at all until like the last four paragraphs of every chapter. Wow. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Yeah. And so I think I was reading this book desperate for joy Mm -hmm. and I just like was so hungry for real things that I could start to do and implement. And every chapter was like, great that the Cherry Blossom Festival is in Japan. I've always wanted to do that, but sorry, Ingrid, I can't go to Japan right now. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what are you doing for me? Oh my gosh, Um, that's hilarious. And I also realized that I was trying to get through this book in some ways. And so I realized that there's some irony to like rushing to get through a book about joy that is inherently not very joyful. I do Um, think that's a fair point though. Yeah. Her approach is not to necessarily prescribe how you can feel more joyful. That said, every chapter does have design takeaways. Yeah. I think what was interesting about reading this book to me is that, so there are 10 aesthetics and some clicked more than others, Mm -hmm. which I think is totally fine. Mm -hmm. I think anybody would benefit from still reading through them. Yes. Specifically because some might be more influential for you. Yeah. And some of them are still unexpected. Definitely. But well, the part that I uh, two things, I felt a lot of guilt reading this book. Mm. I was like, oh man, I picked a beige couch. I did oh, it wrong. You know, like yeah. she's like, color brings vibrancy yeah. and energy. And I'm like sitting on my beige couch, oh. looking at my white comforter, and I'm like, ugh. Oh, interesting. I did it wrong. So oh. I felt a really interesting sense of like, mmm. Joy guilt. Joy guilt, yes. Oh, that's exactly mm. what I felt. But the other part is that. I'm not a designer. Yeah. And I'd actually be really curious if any listeners are designers and have Mm -hmm. read this book. I would love to know what you thought of this. Yeah. But some of the aesthetics make sense to me and some of them I didn't totally get. Yeah. Like surprise. Mm -hmm. I understand what a surprise is. (laughs) 
but it was like surprise with pink balloons. And I'm like, but are we talking about color and energy? I know. Or are we talking about surprise? Yeah. So it didn't necessarily seem to me like they were all unique. Like no, if I were creating yeah. a Venn diagram yeah. of this, <laughs> some circles overlap, but some don't. Yeah. And I was just like, what is up? Yeah. It was really hard for me to keep straight in every new chapter because there were so many like so many of the previous aesthetics were called upon to describe the new aesthetic. And then also there were so many examples like rainbow and confetti and play with balls, but ba also baby animals have big eyes. And, uh, <laughs> and it was like, ah, this is so much to remember that it, you're right. It didn't feel like there were delineated categories for joy. Yeah. And maybe to put it another way. So with freedom, the design element yeah. is nature. Right. With play, it's a circle. Right. How am I supposed to compare nature to a circle? I don't know how obvious it is that I'm a systems thinker, but I appreciated this book specifically because I'm not a designer, yeah. and so a lot of these things did make a ton of sense to yeah. me, like color bringing energy yeah. or even the sense of like chimes as a way to yeah. see magic in the wind. That was really fun. Yeah. Another one I liked was transcendence, the feeling mm -hmm. of being like high up or down low and mm -hmm. the way emotions are along that vertical axis yeah. was fascinating to me. Yeah. And I don't know, to your point earlier, there are definitely little things about this book I will carry into my life mm -hmm. that I definitely think will bring joy. Yeah. But overall, I don't know if – Joyful is maybe the title I would have chosen for this book. Yeah, that is an interesting point. We can't rename the book, so let's not obsess about this. Is a reminder for me to not to obsess about what we would call it instead. But <laughs> you're right. For me, it was difficult to separate the feeling of joy with the objects. And I know that's really mm. the premise is that tangible objects affect this intangible and feeling in ourselves. And so when I was thinking about joy, a lot of times I just kept thinking about the experiences. And I know then you're supposed to break it down and talk about what are the people, places, things, like the the tangibles that cause you to feel joy. But it's a huge concept, I think. I truly feel she did a great job breaking it down in a way that is applicable, but parts of it were difficult to access, I think. I agree. Yeah. What you said about joy guilt, so I felt it in a different chapter in the play chapter. Mm -hmm. Not said, enough balls in your life? Yeah, not enough balls in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we won't get, we won't get. <laughs> I didn't mean anything by that, Em. I just meant you aren't getting enough sports. Yeah. There's no ping pong. There's no baseball. Right. There's no balls. There are no balls in my life. It did help me to realize that I am drawn to my circular vases and votives, but no. So initially, so what stuck out to me in that chapter was that she talks about how we, like as a nation, are in play debt. We don't play enough. And so I was like, great, you're going to tell me how to play. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Fabulous. And then she goes, she talks about the examples of, you know, office spaces that have slides instead of stairs. And um, so often those experiences can be almost alienating for certain people who don't know how to play or don't know if they're doing it right and I, like, that resonated with me that it was like, oh, my God, I also don't know how you, I don't even know how to play. I'm not doing it right. And so to me, that feels similar to your experience of, like, sitting on your beige couch, looking around and being like, I'm not doing it right. Yeah. Like, help. Exactly. It feels icky. It does. I will say, though, so I live in New York, and something since reading this book 
that I have started to notice are more of the aesthetics around me and starting to just reflect on my increased understanding of design Mm -hmm. and how that may have influenced a designer's decision. So actually Mm -hmm. just yesterday I was riding the subway as one does. And there are a few newer trains that have been designed so that they're really full of color. So on the inside, they're painted with really bright colors and flowers. And Mm -hmm. on the outside, even there's a little bit of blues or even some promotions will take over the outside of a subway car, Mm -hmm. like for upcoming superhero movies and they'll design the whole thing. And I've noticed that the color and the additional element of surprise yeah. that it's not a normal drab gray mm-hmm. train, it really does make a difference. And maybe not coincidentally, those trains seem cleaner. And mm. I can't help but wonder if it alludes back to what we talked about, which is that it's clear that somebody took care to design this. Yeah. They added color the same way that the Albanian city, when they painted the buildings and crime went down. Yeah. When somebody makes something beautiful, it seems like there's an effort and a care that's gone into it that you don't want to deface it the same way that, unfortunately, the regular subways (laughs) sometimes are. Right. (laughs) So I have noticed that. That's nice. There's also a park in New York called the High Line. It's a Mm. converted railroad. Mm. And I thought of that when we were reading the chapter on renewal because Mm -hmm. they took what was a a railroad track Mm -hmm. and they planted all kinds of things. They turned it into this narrow park that you can walk up and down. Oh, wow. And it's a really nice metaphor. They're revitalizing the city, but they're also bringing life and greenery. Yeah. So I think from a design perspective, I can see why they made that decision and how it really does give a little lift to Mm. what was just something run down before. Yeah. I love how you're thinking about things from a design perspective. I feel like I immediately was like, me, how can I bring (laughs) this into my life? And like both are fine. They both help us appreciate the aesthetics of joy. That's what I liked about the book though, is that it gave us almost a vocabulary for it. So now I can look at, like I was walking to yoga the other day and the sky just before a snowstorm was just this like sparkly, but heavy, like very powerful presence. I was like, oh, transcendence. And I knew that like by looking up and looking at the clouds, that was activating like the daydreaming part of my brain, which helps me think creatively, but also executively. And knowing all of that was happening was not only joyful to experience how beautiful the sky looked, but I liked having that extra knowledge about my experience. I love that. It's fascinating how differently we interpreted some of these. Yeah. But that's maybe one of the positives of this book too, is it is pretty open to interpretation and open to how you might carry it with you. Yeah. As I was like obsessing about why the chapters were 80% examples of the rest of the world and not practical, I realized that really it's about looking at our broader world with the mindset of looking for joy and examples of it so that we could figure out what was meaningful to us because it's absolutely personal. And so then we can bring it into our lives on a personal basis so we can understand it externally to move it internally. Speaking of bringing things into your life, I do know there are a few ways that both of us have chosen to take little action steps. So Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the things that you've been up to since reading Joyful? Okay. So One thing is that I am embracing cleaning as not just a compulsion, like a Monica (laughs) Geller-esque compulsion, but as a sense of renewal in my life. So I've always been like a very clean and organized and orderly person. And it just has sort of given me extra permission to like revel in the joy of that experience, (laughs) funny as it may sound. Uh, That's one way. Another is that 
this is an example straight from Ingrid that I'm taking on as my own is I have a, a coat that I love, but the lining just has like a few tears in it. And so she said that she had a lining of her coat retailored with a bright color. And one of the reasons I love this coat in it, like already is because it has this really pretty like surprising green lining. And so now I'm going to change the color like I, and I'll choose a different liner color and have it tailored. And right now I'm thinking like cherry red. We'll oh, see. that's so fun. Yeah. How about you? How, what are a couple things that you're implementing? Okay, so a couple small things include in my own life, in my own apartment, I think I will finally take the plunge and get a plant. Ooh. I know, I know. <laughs> a plant? <laughs> got to start small. I've been putting this off forever. I do Aww. like being around plants, yeah. but I, in the past, have been a known plant killer. That said, I believe in me. I think I can do it. I have yeah. an office plant. And I've had that for about a year. So I would like to bring some greens into my apartment. I think that's a really small, attainable way to yeah. bring some joy. Yeah. And you have like beautiful sunny windows. So I think the plant is going to love it here. And and you can maybe choose one that needs low water. Like That's exactly yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah. A low maintenance plant. Yeah. And then on top of that, I've been thinking I might want to expand my wardrobe choices. Yeah. So I live in New York, the city of black. I mean, it's just a known yeah. thing yeah. that you can wear black everywhere. And even beyond that, I wear a lot of muted, solid tones. And I think I make those choices just because it's kind of easy. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that I don't like color. Right. So I've been thinking it wouldn't hurt, especially as spring and summer are around the corner, yeah. to avoid my default of choosing the black shirt option yeah. and instead to entertain the other available colors. Are there any colors that speak to you? Not in particular. I know I've always shied away from red because it seems too bold. Like, okay. who am I to wear this ah. red shirt? <laughs> you say it out loud. You're like, it's a red shirt. Like, you can do it, you know? Yeah. But maybe I'll consider. I always get compliments, too, when I wear yeah. red because I have a fair complexion, as one may have been complimented on in the 1700s. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so red does tend to look good on my skin tone, yeah. but I avoid it because it's like, boom, look at her. Mm -hmm. And I do not personally have that kind of personality, but maybe I'll get over my chromophobia yeah. and order a red shirt. Yeah. Or I think a fun exercise would be just to go to a store and try on a bunch of colors you wouldn't normally choose and then just see which of them actually make you feel joyful when you like see the color, when you put it on. That's a great idea. Yeah. I love thinking about clothes and color. One of my like rules for the past several years has been that my workout clothes must make me happy when I put them on. And so of a lot of my wardrobe, they're one of the only things that are like bright pink and bright purple. And I don't wear a ton of very bright colors, but um, like my sneakers are black and purple and and people often compliment me on them. And that's nice too, but it truly just feels like fun and inspirational and motivating to put on colors like that, especially before a workout where you want to really feel motivated. Um, well, now we know that color is energizing. exactly, And so it's perfect for a workout. Yeah. Anything else that you're going to be taking away from this book, Em? Yeah. So the idea of flowers really being a symbol of so many of the different aesthetics of joy was really nice to read about. I have in the past had what I call my flower budget. And so in the winter, I would specifically like have a certain amount in my budget that I would bring flowers into my home for. And But I never really felt like it was a valid 
budget item. And after reading Finish, which talks about like making goal setting and goal achievement fun, flowers were one of the first things that I thought this would really brighten up my experience as I'm meeting this goal. And then reading in this book about how flowers make us feel joyful and do incredible things like improve our mood and memory. I am now guilt-free about my flower budget and I'm really going to embrace that. I think that's one of the most positive takeaways from this book overall is that sometimes there are things like flowers that just bring you joy. Yeah. And you know it. Like you know joy when you feel it. But often we're made to feel like we need to be minimalists. Or justify it. Justify everything. Exactly. It's made to feel like it's extra or Mm -hmm. something you don't really need. Mm -hmm. In fact, a lot of these do bring joy and that's enough. Like you don't have to have a logical reason for having flowers. If they make you feel good – that's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with looking for magic in my daily life. It seems maybe not extra or like something we don't deserve, but it's something I think we can easily ignore. And I really like to do this when I'm walking to yoga. I have to cross a busy street. And sometimes I can just step right off the sidewalk to cross the street and there are no cars. And every time it happens, it feels like magic. And I'm always like, thanks universe. (laughs) (laughs) And so now I'm just going to recognize that like short surprise and moment of transcendence and magic as like the universe patting me on the back and being like, yeah, you go to yoga. You love it. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Transcendence. I actually liked that chapter significantly more than I thought. Mm. I know. So again, living in New York, there are so many high up vantage points, whether it's just from a taller office building or I live in Brooklyn. So looking across the river at Manhattan and it feels big. Mm. It reminds me that I'm in this massive city and I can see all these different buildings and streets. And I often think about how many people there are and it makes me feel one with Mm. the city. Like I've been here for six plus years. I'm still totally enamored by it. And I love the cityscape and it's totally Mm. cheesy stuff. I should be over it by now. But I'm not. It feels like magic to me. Yeah. And now I feel like I have a better sense of why. Oh, that's so nice that you're experiencing the magic of the place you live and you're still in love with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. New York's been good to me. Oh. There's also something really magical about just the cityscape and the yeah. sunset over the city and the glow. Oh my gosh. So, so much. Now it's like the color, the light. It's very aesthetic. Yeah. Now I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Now you have the vocabulary to be like, I start identifying it. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of fun to be able to label the way that a designer would. Mm-hmm. I still, of course, have nowhere near the training that mm-hmm. Ingrid does, but it's fun to have a little bit more understanding of a vocabulary I could use. Or you mentioned this in episode eight where we talked about the book, but the way that design influences our language. Yeah. Like when we say we're feeling blue yeah. or we're feeling down in the dumps mm-hmm. or we're on cloud nine. Those are all fascinating to me to yeah. realize that design has influenced regular day-to-day language. Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. My identity crisis is coming up next, but first a quick break. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash booksmart and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash booksmart to get started today. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. Of course, we recommend you use your free book to check out Joyful, but you can choose any book you'd like. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash booksmart. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash booksmart for your free audiobook. 
Okay, Melissa. In episode one, The Four Tendencies, we talked about Gretchen Rubin's personality framework for how we respond to internal and external expectations. Of the four tendencies, upholder, questioner, obliger, and rebel, you initially thought you were an obliger, but now you think not. Tell us what is happening. (laughs) Okay, so maybe a week after we recorded this episode, I was in a hot yoga class, which by the way, I hate. (laughs) I really love yoga. I was just trying a new studio because it was convenient and they were offering a deal and all these other terrible reasons that John Acuff would not approve of. But while I was in this class, most people describe the post-workout experience as, that felt good, like euphoric, endorphins, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just in this class thinking, I hate everything. (laughs) And in episode one, I mentioned that one of the reasons I believed I was an obliger is because I have no problem like meeting deadlines at work and all this stuff, but I have a really hard time going to the gym or sticking to fitness routines or doing things that are just for me. Mm-hmm. There were some little yellow flags on the play. Like this podcast, I have no trouble Mm. keeping up with. Mm -hmm. And I know that we're in this together, Mm -hmm. but I've worked on projects before. I had a previous podcast where I was solo. And I kept wondering, like, why can I uphold that obligation, that expectation I've made of myself, but not the expectation to go to the gym? Mm -hmm. And then here I am in this yoga class, sweaty, mad, not (laughs) pleased. And I had this moment of, oh, man. I'm here because somebody else expects me to be. It's this concept that I am working out because I believe I'm expected to be a certain level of fit and to look a certain Mm. way. And in fact, a lot of that is an outer expectation, not an inner expectation. So I I mean, I go to regular yoga classes and those are fine. But I had this moment of realizing that I had just assumed going to the gym was an internal expectation. Uh But truly for me, I I do feel like it's an exterior pressure to look a certain way. Yeah. And in this miserable yoga class, something that I don't like, that really came to the forefront. So a lot of other things clicked for me. Like I tip rebel, that's still true and is true of uh, questioners. But at work, I've never been a yes to Mm. everything person. Mm. Like I have no trouble saying no when I'm overworked. I will always provide solutions. I never Mm -hmm. say like, no boss, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I'll say, I don't think I could do a great job with this project because I'm overworked. What if, and then I'll offer tons of solutions and very solution oriented, but I would never do something just because an authority figure told me to. I always question it. Yeah. I often don't need to because I choose jobs where I feel like it aligns with what I would want to be doing. So I don't think I feel a lot of resistance there. I've been very fortunate. Mm -hmm. But I definitely think that I'm a questioner because I've noticed the things that I'm able to do are all inner expectations. Interesting. Okay, so let's recap for our listeners. So obligers, which is what you previously thought you were, Mm -hmm. respond well to outer expectations, but they have a struggle meeting inner expectations. And questioners are the opposite. Okay. So questioners have no trouble meeting inner expectations, but have a hard time with outer expectations. And the key is that Mm. for a questioner to meet an outer expectation, they need to understand why it's important. So the reason Mm. why I don't feel a lot of friction at work is because I've chosen a job that aligns with my internal expectations, hopes, and dreams. On the other hand, the way that I was going about my fitness routine felt like an external 
obligation. Interesting. So I just, I didn't notice it because they yeah. were masquerading yeah. as common reasons why an obliger might behave certain ways. Oh, that is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. So how has your life changed now that you're a questioner? Oh, everything's different. Oh no. my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the same. But what I will say for <laughs> listeners is if you find yourself doing something like, you know, working out, yeah. it's not as simple as, is it benefiting you personally? Right. That's how I interpreted it the first time. Right. Instead, now I've realized it's more about my motivation. Why am I doing this thing? Yeah. And for me, I learned I do want to be healthy. That motivates me mm-hmm. to make healthy eating choices and make other fitness choices. But in particular, I realized a lot of it is external. Mm. Pressure is too strong of a word, but mm-hmm. a bit of external pressure yeah. and expectation for sure. Yeah. So really, you have to question yourself to figure out why it's important to you. And then you have no problem once mm-hmm. you get down to the nitty gritty of why you're doing it. Yep. Oh, exactly. that's so cool. Congratulations on your identity crisis Thank and you. then resolution. And I think what was fascinating is a lot of the questioners, including some known questioner friends of mine, they ask a lot of questions, yeah. which is a trait, of course, of questioners, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily have that. Yeah, I don't question everything out loud. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I might th- run through questions internally, but I think I assumed because I don't ask as many questions as them, I must not be a questioner. Right. So for anybody wondering if you might be a questioner, I just see myself as a logical thinker. I'm always wondering, does this make sense? Mm-hmm. What could be done differently? But I don't verbalize all the questions, nor do right. I shut them down. It's not like I'm holding back on mm-hmm. asking questions, but don't let the number of questions you ask. I've said the word question so many times. <laughs> Such a questioner. I know. Don't, well, don't let the number of questions influence if you think you're a questioner or not. This is yeah. so hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I think you're bringing up another great point too, which is that we are not purely only one tendency. We really do have feet or not feet. We have feet and hands in all four of them because that's just how personalities work. And of course, like our personalities are also influenced by a ton of other things. So if you're also struggling, it's possibly because you might identify with multiple of the tendencies and that is totally normal and sort of just part of the game of life. And if you do want to figure out which tendency you are, we have a link to the quiz in our show notes from that episode at booksmartpodcast.com slash one. Thanks for joining us this week. To view the complete show notes and learn more about Joyful, visit booksmartpodcast.com slash nine. Once you've read the book, we'd love to hear about it. Share your experience from Joyful or any of our previous books by emailing us at hello at booksmartpodcast.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 929-515-BOOK. That's 929-515-BOOK or 2665. And who knows, maybe you'll be featured on a future episode. You can also follow us on Instagram. We post our favorite tips and tricks from different books, including books that don't make it onto the podcast. And we'd love to hear from you. Follow us at Booksmart Podcast. Thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of Booksmart. Until next time, happy reading.